Welcome to Managing Marketing, a weekly podcast where we discuss the issues and opportunities facing marketing, media and advertising with industry thought leaders and practitioners. Today, I'm sitting down with Lindsay Bennett, Global Head of Marketing at DDB. Welcome, Lindsay. Hi, thanks, Darren. And congratulations. You know, this is a new appointment um, and it's early days, but uh, I really appreciate you taking the time because... I'm fascinated and uh, and admire the journey that it's taken to get to this point. So, you know, let's just start with you've graduated from university and you're looking for a job because I imagine, you know, like most people, you've done all the hard work. What was that like for you? Yeah, and thanks for having me. It's actually funny because you've been on the journey with me really because I met you in the early, early days um, at my first job at Ad News. Um, so yeah, studied journalism, always wanted to be a journalist uh, from the very early days and was studying and I'll never forget a professor said, half of this class will not get jobs. More than half of this class will not get jobs. And that really stuck with me at that time. And you know, we were writing about the demise of our industry, which we were going into. So it was this really strange time to be considering being a journalist and it still is you know it's only gotten worse really but we were on the brink um, of magazines closing that I'd read my whole life and I actually wanted to go into women's magazines uh, and did a few internships and quickly realized it wasn't for me there was a moment where I was uh, you know writing this article foods to eat to have an orgasm (laughs) and the research was purely googling And I just realized that that wasn't going to be substantial enough for me and started to look at business journalism and was, you know, really lucky that uh, Ad News came my way. And the lovely Rosie Baker, who I know you know well and is now at Group M, uh, but was the editor at the time, brought me on as a cadet. And the rest is sort of history. I mean, uh, I'd had to do a task around, you know, getting headlines on social, uh, which was really interesting way to get the job compared to actually writing a piece and kind of was a baptism by fire. I mean, I worked my way up very quickly at Ad News. It was a very small team, very, you know, tough environment, very fast paced job, but it was just the most incredible exposure to the industry, which now I've realized is probably what I love a little bit more than journalism. It's interesting um, you share that about Rosie's test for you because Mm. in many ways I guess you could assume that someone has passed a university course on journalism they would and and has the motivation to want to work in the industry that demonstrating your ability to create content, and I know it's an advertising term content, journalists don't necessarily talk about content, but creating content that actually engages an audience is a really great test, isn't it? Yeah, it's so interesting. Actually going back to my degree, which feels like a very, very long time ago, you know, we we were tasked to build websites, to create podcasts, to, you know, create social content. And I thought it was an absolute joke, you know, rolled my eyes, thought I would never use it. And actually that's the stuff that I use the most today. And I actually, in my new role, I'm hiring, you know, a social media manager at the moment um, because I've been doing it for the last few years and realised it's time to get a specialist. But 
all of those skills that I learned at university and then through that task are actually really what I've used at DDB. Um, being a great writer gets you so far, but actually you learn that, you know, writing and um, journalism is one part of a very big kind of content studio that you can have. Yeah, well, there's a, a, a larger palette than ever before, isn't there? You know, And I remember one of the reasons at the time at Ad News that I saw you progress rapidly was that you always came across as having an attitude of giving it a go. I mean, if I remember rightly, you were also, you were doing video uh, pieces, uh, you were doing pieces to camera, you were doing interviews on, on stage and on video. Now, this was stuff that was still relatively new for trade journalism. I mean, some people were doing it, but, you know, you're you know, fresh out of university, fresh into the industry, and you were giving it a go. Yeah. Do you think that's part of it, is just always being willing to have a go? You have to always give it a go. You have to always be trying something new, trying something different. Um, it's funny going down you know, just hearing what you said, I don't think about that very often. But of course, we would, you know, we did a partnership with Twitter on creating video. We were doing events. Uh, we were trying to approach everything uh, from different angles and different ways um, of creating content. And that, you know, is exactly what I do today. And I think it's really easy to rely on the written word or the way things were done. But we've all, I've always challenged, uh, you know, the way things were done and, and don't believe just because it was done, we should. And because we haven't, we shouldn't, you know, try a different way. Uh, so, yeah, de definitely. I mean, Ad News had so many great assets to use in terms of events, in terms of its platform. But when we came in, you know, it was still very traditional and we definitely moved it forward. I think, you know, it's still hard to innovate in journalism because there's not a huge amount of money. Um, but I'm pretty, yeah, I'm proud of what we achieved there and the different things we tried. They didn't all work and some of the video content was a bit awkward, but, um, you know, we, yeah, we gave it a go. And I think one of my things that I often say is a, a jack of all trades, master of none. But the actual saying is jack of all trades, master of none is still better than one. And I totally agree with that. Mm. You know, um, I am a jack of all trades and we can definitely hire specialists and I tap into specialists all the time. Um, but being able to create podcasts, create content, write, create social content has definitely um, helped me, you know, get where I am today and uh, yeah, it's the skill set you need, sadly. Because, well, I think it's also the fact that people are starting to wake up to the to the belief that generalists, people, you know, they talk about the T of experience and across the top of the T is that breadth of experience and trying lots of different things. And then there's the vertical on the T, which is the depth in a particular area. Now, in some ways, your training and your uh, early um, uh, jobs as a, a journalist created that depth. Yeah, and I think that's around things like being able to see an idea or see a story and then the skill set to be able to communicate it. What's across the top is the way you communicate it because, as you say, you know, um, I think Ad News was one or still does produce a printed 
magazine, whereas almost all the rest of the trade journals or media have dropped that and have gone completely online. So, you know, there is a tradition there of writing and putting the ink on the paper, but you also expanded that across the tea with, you know, video and podcasts and all sorts of other things that you were doing. So, look, I think, you know, it's, as I said earlier, it was great to watch someone just sort of, because you ended up, what was a digital editor within the space of two years. I mean, that's phenomenal, but um, justified in many ways. Yeah, lots of title changes. Uh, every time, you know, a review came up, I think the word tenacity was always thrown around, which is often thrown around in my reviews. But, you know, that trajectory um, was supported by amazing people like Rosie and Pippa Chambers, who was there mm. at, at the time as well, who recognised I was hungry and I wanted to mo- move quickly and I, I wanted to, you know, um, add extra resource and or extra capabilities. Um, it's interesting you say, you know, we were doing print and we were doing online and we were doing video and we are doing social now <laughs> I do so much more, you know, mm. involved in H&R, initi- HR initiatives, uh, events, um, you know, involved in cultural kind of initiatives within DDB. It's the breadth has only continued, um, which has been great, to be honest. Every day is different. Yeah, because uh, I saw you're uh, involved with the Omnicom uh, DNI. Uh, initiatives, but we'll, we'll get to that in a minute. Um, going back, uh, you said you sort of landed in business journalism. Did you have an appreciation at the time of the sort of size and scale? You know, this is a $16 billion category mm-hmm. and there's a lot of influence and a lot of power and a lot of egos, you know. Did, did you really appreciate that when you landed or was that part of the education that you got on the job? Oh, I had no idea. And I remember taking the job at Ad News because they had written quite a lot about social platforms. And I thought, yeah, I can I can write about social platforms and I can write about magazine houses. So Bauer and, and Pac Mags, of course, um, existing in different forms these days. But they were writing about, you know, the Cosmos, the Clios, the strategy behind um, their portfolios. And I thought, OK, I can do that because I had an understanding of that fraction of the industry. And they're writing about Snapchat and Instagram. Okay, I can probably, you know, fudge my way through. And actually, probably my lack of understanding helped me in the early days. Uh, helped and hindered, but helped because I wasn't intimidated by from sitting down with the, you know, CEO of Omicom or um, any of the big wigs that today I probably would be more intimidated. I, I just saw them as regular people that, you know, we were just going to have a chat and see how we go. Um, so in a lot of ways, I had this confidence um, because I just did not understand how important these people were or how important perhaps um, they consider themselves. So it was definitely, you know, a huge learning curve um, and one that I stumbled through. I made massive mistakes, don't get me wrong, and, you know, interviews with CEOs and CMOs that probably, you know, knew I didn't know what I was talking about. Um, but the growth happened quickly and, uh, you know, the industry was so interesting to me and I found myself so drawn towards particularly creative agencies uh, and spent so much time becoming an expert in that space. Uh, and it was, it was yeah, the best years ever, um, don't get me wrong, the best job 
I've ever done, but also the hardest, most challenging, toughest, um, and one that I was very ready to to walk away with from after just a few years because journalism, it's it is a tough gig. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, and and working in a company that there was the print deadline, there was the daily yeah. online deadline, there was the event. Uh, component, you know, it's so many layers and so demanding on so many levels. But this interest in uh, creative agencies, is that what uh, drew you to make the leap from journalism and join an agency? Yeah, definitely. So, you know, I guess there's two things in the first is journalism is really tough. It is incredibly fast paced. It's um, not uh, hugely well resourced. It's, uh, you know, a, a sadly a declining industry um, in terms of revenue and most teams are shrinking, especially through the pandemic, which has been really sad to see. Um, so I think I was facing a little bit of burnout after the, the three years and I made such amazing connections that some of the local agency leaders uh, had suggested to me that I should come on board and, and do comms, which I rolled my eyes at and said I wouldn't be any good at it. And, you know, um, I, I don't think so. And I've never I'd never considered that. See um, how wrong you were. I know. <laughs> I know. They could see something in me potentially that I couldn't see in myself, which uh, is is quite nice. And. I am now a believer that kind of your career comes to you in a lot of ways if you are proactive and put yourself out there. And I, so I'd, I'd been speaking to a few different businesses and then I went, okay, you know, the, a few people have suggested it to me now. It's a pretty commonly uh, done sh- switch up. So a lot of my former colleagues um, are comms people now uh, at different agencies or some of the media owners. Well, as you said, Rosie uh, has yeah. gone to Group M. I know uh, at Mumbrella they've lost two of their journalists we to agencies. One. <laughs> yeah. So, so you know, it, it seems to be coming more and more a career path and an acceptable career path. But yeah. I'm not sure every person that's worked as a uh, in trade journalism is necessarily set up to work in a comms role in an agency because I also know with the experience of uh, over 20 years watching this, the number of people that have done that and then sort of fallen out the other side mm. and, and never heard of again. So, you know, what, yeah. what do you think are the sort of skill sets or the mindset yeah. that allows you to make that, that change? Because, you know, in many ways journalism has a set of disciplines around finding a story, making it stand up and telling it. And then comms is a different one, which is being given a story or having a story and needing to find a way of packaging it. So it's of interest to journalists, isn't it? Yeah. There's a lot of transferable skill set. So all the obvious things, you can write a good story, so you can probably sell a good story. Um, You know how to create a narrative. Um, you know how to create content. There's a lot of transferable skills. Thinking back to my early days at DDB, I think it's very humbling to go from a journalist where you have a bit of a name uh, and you are meeting with lots of CEOs and CMOs who want your time, um, not your time, but they want a reporter's time, which is a very important distinction that you need to learn before you go to comside and half your contacts stop speaking to you. Um, it's very humbling humbling to become one of 300 compared to 
one of five, which was my old team size and then the business of DDB. Um, and it's not about you anymore. It's It, it never really was, but you do have a, a bit of an independent brand. Um, well, just I, I just want to challenge you on that mm. because as a journalist, while there are some sort of a rules and framework around telling the narrative, you know, you need the facts, you need to, what do they call it, stand, stand yeah. the story up, make sure that it's, you know, it, it's got enough truth to it. Mm-hmm. To Have be three told. sources. Yeah, and all that, sort of, you know, they're the yeah. rules of journalism. But it's still you telling the story. Mm. So in many ways it comes down to, you know, your experience, your context, your way of writing because everyone has a, a, you know, you can learn different styles, but you would bring a certain perspective or, or personality. And I know you might say, well, you can do that on the comm side, except that you're telling someone else's story. Yeah. Because as a journalist, you found the story or the story's given to you, you get to tell it. Yeah. And you're not, at the end of the day, if your CEO wants a story out there that you don't potentially agree with, um, which hasn't happened to me much, luckily, but if they are keen on an angle that you're not, it's not really your decision anymore. Um, So in a comms role, you do a lot of, you know, you're high and you're low at the same time. One one day I'm on a, you know, leadership meeting with the DDB um, global leadership, you know, and the next minute I'm making gift bags and unpacking chairs for an event that we're doing in the Sydney office. So mm. there's this, there's a healthy sense of becoming humble um, with the, com, the, the shift to comms. There's the complexity of going from a very, very small team to a big business um, with lots of stakeholders, with lots of different teams. And it's a, it's a big role. Um, with a lot of opinions, so being really, really uh, good with people, which sounds obvious, but potentially not everyone is and not every journalist is. There's some that are, you know, confined to a a closet and they just bang out loads and loads of articles. Um, You know, advertising is even more of a human-based industry than journalism, which kind of sounds a bit crazy. No, Um, not at all. I mean, I think... uh Advertising is so much about relationships and the way people interact. Whereas, you know, as you said, there are journalists that just immerse themselves in research and and uh, and analysing the story and then bashing it out. Mm. And, you know, it made me realise as you were talking that, you know, it, personalities play such a big role because, you know, there would be literally agencies that would be sizing up the different journalists at a particular uh, trade brand and going, oh, we'll try and get this to this person because they bring a much more, you know, perhaps positive perspective to the industry as opposed to someone that has a more cynical approach, you know. So they would be playing off personality. 100%. Even recently, uh, there's been a few agencies that have remained close with and they're trying to um, create, I guess, the same success as DDB has had, which is very, very flattering and also higher from the trade press. And they're saying to me, you know, who here's the three that we think 
Um, and it's all personality based. You know, mm-hmm. this person has this personal strength, this person, mm-hmm. and asking me my opinion, um, my personal opinion on their personalities. Yeah. So it's definitely a personality decision because, look, if you've been a journalist for a few years, you should be pretty decent. Um, if you're in the trade press, you are usually pretty decent because it's a small team and there's not a huge uh, area for for uh, mistake, you know. Um, so, yeah, it's it's one of those things, I guess, where everything in advertising comes back to relationships and you've got to prioritise them. It's um, a people business, a they people say it all business. the time. Yeah, and I found that actually um, difficult, too harsh for word, but just different. When you're a journalist, you are so busy um, that you don't spend time getting coffee with people and uh, apart from your sources, but I mean your team members, you're in the trenches, you're bonding over you know, the sheer mass of work and the amount of things you have to get done. And then you're going to an event at 6 p.m. and having a few drinks. Well, you know, when I first started DDB, I had my head down. I was really keen to prove myself. And what I realized was I needed to take time out in my day to build relationships with, if we've got 300 people, at least 100 people need to be, Mm. um, you know, on my side. And um, I rely on a lot of the internal resources to make shit happen within DDB. So I needed a lot of people to want to help me. Um, and that was a massive learning, uh, you know, curve for me and a massive thing that I had to do. I had to put time in my calendar to do laps and go and talk to people, which seems um, obvious, but for me it wasn't because journalism, there's no time to talk to anyone until, you know, <laughs> 7 p.m. and you're going to a News Corp event and you're having a few while. It's just, it's very different. Yeah. Um, and then you're usually not actually building relationships you're trading uh gossip and information you know because that's that's part of preparing for the next day i just want to go back a step because you you mentioned a minute ago that a few people had suggested you come across so Mm. you know in some ways you had choice and without going into who you didn't choose I'm just wondering what was your selection criteria and why DDB? This is yeah. your opportunity to sing the to praises of the, of the company you work for. But yeah. I'm, I'm thinking more from a personal point of view because, you know, there are smaller agencies which would have been easier yeah. to fit in and more like where you'd come from. You've got chosen a big agency. You've chosen one that's uh, got a long-term presence and, you know, it's had been fairly quiet um, you know, they've just sort of been the quiet achiever that got on with it. What was it for you that, um, or, or was it just simply the money? No, no, no. <laughs> so, you know, you say yourself, they were the quiet achiever. Um, so they, DDB was always the quiet achiever, the sleeping giant that had the clients, the work, the people, but had no idea how to tell their story or weren't prioritising in a big way. So going back, um uh, I spoke to a few independents. I think for me, I wanted a bit of security and uh, most of the independents had never had the role before and I thought it's going to be pretty challenging to not have the buy-in already um, and then have to prove yourself and have to build the processes. And justify your value every week. Exactly. Um, so that was that. And then when it came to holding companies, um I knew I wanted to work for Omnicom. I I see Omnicom as the as the gold star because they actually invest in their brands. So DDB is a brand, 
BBDO as a brand, TBWA as a brand, and I felt safe. It, it, when I joined, it was when we everyone was going through their mergers and you had VML, YNR, you know, ABCD, you know, all the different agency names were being um, were being taken away. And I loved that, you know, Omnicom were committed uh, to investing in those brands. And then from that selection, um, DDB, I just thought, had the most opportunity. It, it was quite, it had a, you know, we have very, very big clients in Australia. We have very, very good work and, and really good leaders. There's my, um, you know, there's my selling, <laughs> there's my pitch. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, so it is interesting because they've also had incredible stability in yes. leadership. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of agency networks. So independents have uh, stability because it's usually the, management team that own the agency that's what gives them stability yeah a lot of networks suffer from you know this is constant churn of senior management you know every three to five years someone goes out and someone else comes in which you know to your point about looking for some stability or certainty and i can i completely understand that having worked three years you know your first real job in quotes mm. from you know uh, from graduating um, that, you know, it would be good to, to get that sort of stability so that you could really focus. Yeah. It also becomes a good platform because one of the things you did very quickly when you landed in that role at TDB was it was suddenly like someone had turned on the lights and there was just stories coming out left, right and centre into the industry. Yeah. There must have been when you landed, you know, you, we both said they were quiet achievers. There must have been so many things that you saw as a journalist within DDB that you thought, why aren't they telling people? Yeah, and that's exactly right. And thank you for saying that, um, you know, there was a, a outpour of content <laughs> um, because that's what it felt like. Um, no, it, it and there lit- was. Yeah, yeah. Literally it went from never reading anything about DDB <laughs> to virtually week in, week out. There was, oh, and this and this, and, you know, and they were all good stories and they all stood, you know, stood the test of is this interesting and worthwhile. Yeah, and I mean, you know, that comes back. I was very lucky to understand how the trade press worked. I was very lucky to have some colleagues still in the trade press. And, uh, you know, I knew the people, so I was able to understand how to sell them a story. But also everything was there at DDB. Um, Everything was just ready to go, but no one was amplifying it. Uh, So my work, you know, the first few months um, while I was learning a lot were kind of easy you know there was it, it got it's gotten harder to be honest because there's only so much um you can keep telling the same story right and um you know you're never gonna get the same figures as I did in that first year I think our PR exposure was up 407 percent uh year on year it's kind of hard to beat that from every a low year. Base, yeah. yeah from a low base but they have had the role before don't get me wrong which was good because management was bought into the function and they could yeah. see how it worked um and yeah, I mean, overall, uh, there was a lot to work with, and I'm very grateful for that because they made my job easy. <laughs> it, it, it reminds me of sort of like uh, gold mining. You know, you walk into an yep. area and there's just nuggets everywhere, and then suddenly you look around, and you've cleaned up all those nuggets. Now you've got to start the hard work of digging for yeah. the stories. You well, know? then, then I kind of got a little bit bored. 
um, for lack of a better word. Don't get me wrong. You know, my job today is still as interesting as ever, but uh, there's only so much you can put out in the world and there's only so much networking you can do with it at eight journalists that write about advertising. Um, and then I added new business to the mix and uh, asked if I could start looking after new business, I think after a few conversations with you actually, um, and you know, getting some advice from you. And that for me was the perfect mix um, because you know, I, I can tell the story and then I can actually show the, the results. So started tracking our new business. We, the first year of PR definitely impacted our new business success in 2020. We onboarded you know, $20 million worth of new business nationally. Um, and big, big clients as well. And that's a little bit of the hunt that you miss if you go into comms. So journalism, you're gossiping, you're on the phone to, you know, the pitch consultants, you know, trying to figure out what's going on. And um, without that kind of industry connection, I own, you know, comms, you don't get that same industry connection. Whereas new business allowed me to kind of tap back into all those contacts and have the ear to the ground and find out who's moving and what agency's doing well and not well. And, you know, we call it hunters for and a reason. Again, <laughs> a lot of people misinterpret new business because, you know, I've had other comms people say to me, oh, no, I couldn't do new business. I'm not a salesperson. But it's yeah. actually not sales, is it? It's more like relationship building, mm. storytelling about telling the agency's story that's relevant to you know, your prospect or your target, and also bringing a, a certain discipline to the agency mm. that teaching them how to package and tell their story in a pitch. Because one of the things I've noticed you know, over the years is agencies are particularly bad at actually telling their own story. They're so mm -hmm. busy sort of ticking all the boxes and listing all their features that they actually forget that they need to engage the uh, prospect, the client, in a conversation that the client wants to be engaged in, you know? Yeah, and I think, you know, the biggest irony in our industry is that agencies aren't good at branding themselves or marketing themselves and... Um, uh, my global CCO uses the expression, the cobbler's shoes um, and the mechanic's car, you know, we're just, if only we treated ourselves the way that we treat clients and give, gave ourselves that much love um, into our own brand. But that's a whole kind of other discussion um, and one that I, I, you know, rightfully preach a lot. Um, but Except, yeah. it, sorry to cut you off, yeah. it, it's such a lazy statement mm -hmm. isn't it because you know ultimately if you were choosing an in, uh, an architect you'd want to see what they've designed for themselves and others 100%. if you were choosing an interior uh designer decorator and they turned up dressed like trash yeah. in a beaten up car you'd be going oh, you know you don't know how to present yourself agencies should be the best at branding themselves. Exactly. 100%. Couldn't agree with you more. I think um, it's a it's a point I, I bring up all the time when, you know, in budget discussions, they're saying, oh, no, we can't, we can't commit that much money. 
and I'm saying, well, we would tell our clients to do it. So you're a multi-billion dollar business globally. You should be spending the same sort of money you tell your clients. Exactly. And I mean, you know, um, our new global CEO, Marty O'Halloran, recognizes that. And he is, you know, for that reason, investing a lot in the global marketing um, team. And we can get to that later. But when you find leaders that believe in it, it is a game changer and it can be a revenue driver as it has been in Sydney with, you know, new business um, coming in. And you're, you're completely right. I've never been a salesperson. Um, I feel that you can do new business whatever way that your skill set allows you to do. For me, that was building relationships and calling people. And I called marketers through COVID and said, I just want to interview you about your experiences um, over the last six months um, so new business, some people might approach it in, in a sales way. I know agencies that do, but for me, it was just, you know, networking on drugs, basically, you know, that next level of networking, um, which I was so used to doing at ad news. And you told me actually that new business is a long-term game. So you're not going to sell someone with a $10 million to spend to spend on the phone. It's all about long-term priming and, you know, things that I started uh, priming two years ago have only just reached out now and they're smaller ops, you know, let alone bigger accounts. Um, They take years and years and years of working and um, proving yourself. And Because it's been phenomenal. Yeah, I mean, there was, you joined, you did all the PR and, 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 uh, you know, I'm not saying you were wholly responsible because <laughs> you all, you know, DDB was, a, you know, it's an excellent business. Mm. It's a, a yeah, full of talented people. But in some ways, right time, right attitude, right approach to really reveal what was there. And then the payoff was, you know, and it was about two years later mm. that suddenly, you know, there was a time when it was, oh, DDB's won this and DDB's won that. You went through that that process of having, um, you know, success. I'm just wondering whether, you know, th- there's that great saying which is um, success has many mothers, failure mm. only uh, two, one is you and one is me and I'm not sure about you. Mm. Now, yeah, is it the same thing? Is that part of the downside of new business and cons that you, while you're not 100%, when there's success, are you overlooked or are you included in there? Uh, I would say that kudos to um, Priya, our MD in Sydney, and Andrew, the CEO of Australia. Um, They have rightfully recognised the success that's come specifically from PR marketing and, you know, redoing our new business process. Uh, I feel, yeah, I feel recognised. I feel that they, you know, it's, it's funny, journalism, you, uh, I've never been yelled at so much in my life, um, not by anyone on my team, only people outside of my team in the industry. I won't name names. Um, that's and for the book. <laughs> that's for the book that I know you want me to publish. One day I will. But, you know, there's it's a thankless job. Um, that hasn't been my experience at DDB. I feel that I've been, you know, really um, appreciated there, which is is. Very, very nice. Um, And they do a good job, at least in my experience, of of recognising their staff. 
That said, you know, when it is a new business win, I was having a conversation with someone that's taking on a new business role at another agency. And they were saying how they're remunerated on the win. They're remunerated if they win the account. And following advice you gave me, I said, you just, you can't. You, you have to be remunerated on bringing in a warm lead and it going through to the pitch process, but the actual result of the, you know, win you or no fail. Control. You have no control. Like, you know, 50% it's the, of the time it's the idea, the other 30% chemistry, and the other 20% God knows what you did wrong. Mm. Um, so that is one area that I think when we lost a pitch, I would try and figure out what I did wrong. Um, and it's it's hard, you know, you've just worked on something for a few months and given it your all, and if you didn't win, it's really disappointing. Um, but I learned not to take it. You know, there's lots and lots of factors and, and reasons. It was one of the things that got me into setting up this business mm. was being a creative director and working on new business. The number of times clients would come back and the feedback was, oh, the creative idea wasn't good enough. Um, and, and so, you know, everyone would walk down and point fingers at the creators yeah. that, yeah, it wasn't good enough. What I've discovered in the last 20 years is that's the most convenient excuse to, uh, to point to what, you know, because you're off the hook. You know, I don't really have to tell you or want to tell you why you didn't win it, but, hey, your creative wasn't good enough, so that'll do. Yeah. Um, one of the, the reason I asked about getting acknowledgement was because last year in the depths of the COVID pandemic, I was suddenly became aware of quite a few new business people in agencies that were suddenly looking for work on LinkedIn. Mm. And uh, I set up this sort of informal uh, monthly get together and chat for people because I think it can be, and I'm glad it's not for you, but I think it can be a really thankless task mm -hmm. that uh, it's often a role that gets cut too quickly if things are, are tough. I mean, my own experience was... Uh, there was a terrific person at the agency I was working at that, you know, bought in lots of clients. It's just the agency didn't convert them. So they fired the uh, the, the rainmaker because they didn't make enough rain. Yeah. I think, um, I think I asked about my job at the beginning of COVID. So there you go. There was some anxiety there um, because, you know, at the end of the day, it, it isn't a revenue driving role. Um, it does, you know, there's not a job number attached to it. I, I do believe it's a revenue driving role, but if you look at a balance sheet, it's it's not, but it is, you know? So it's one of those kind of difficult um, conversations to have. And I think that's why I did move into new business, to be honest, um, because comms can be seen as a little bit surface level. Nice to have. Nice to have. Whereas new business, you know, I, is essential. I can show you how much, well, it wasn't just me, of course, um, and there was a lot of people, but I can show you the money we bought in and I can I can make a case study for the link of um, how, you know, I impacted that that cycle. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there's still definitely the stigma of, of both roles, comms and new business, being nice to have. I'm very lucky in the fact that um, proved myself quickly, over-communicated the success, all my leadership get a monthly, you know, report from me on um, our PR and our new biz um, contacts that we've had and things like that. And I'm in a business that, you know, makes good money. It's a very successful commercial business. 
and they believe in marketing themselves. So um, mm. I know that isn't the case. I, I, I've heard the same stories you have, you know. Yeah. So, so um, look, I'm just uh, aware of the time, but uh, it was uh, probably about this time in 2019 that uh, you were telling the story how DDB has gone back to Doyle, Dane and Burnback and, and rediscovering or refocusing on the roots and transferring those. This was uh, when Wendy Clark was the global mm. CEO. Mm-hmm. And it, yeah, the way you told it really resonated, this idea that a lot of the wisdom that we associate with Bill Burnback could be reinterpreted. But uh, now in your new role as uh, Global Head of Marketing, you've just launched a new campaign um, with now a new global CEO, Marty O'Halloran, um, which is Unexpected Works. What's been the reaction so far from the, well, from your own staff and the marketplace? Yeah, yeah so Unexpected Works um, is a bit different to what we did a few years ago. It's an evolved brand positioning, which we've never had. Um, you know, BBDO have the work, the work, the work. TBWA is the disruption agency. We never had something that was an easy, rememberable, memorable, um, you know, positioning that we could speak to. So that was my first brief in my first week in my new role. Um, and I was slightly terrified. The first brief was create a, a conference for 10,000 staff, of which we're going to reveal, you know, um, what, I, what I think someone first said a rebrand initially, and I think I almost fell on the floor dead because I so believe in, in keeping brands around. Thankfully, it was just, you know. Um, a repositioning. A, a, you know, an evolved positioning. Right. Um, so we did the conference and that was just such an incredible experience, especially stepping into a new role, getting exposure to all the leaders around the world. Um, so we launched that the week before that you would have seen Unexpected Works. And the staff reaction has been amazing. I mean, I feel that, you know, DDB has such a strong legacy brand. That said, you know, do we have uh, the coolest, you know, most modern agency brand around and the, the most modern um, visual expression of our identity? No, I don't think we have. So now with Unexpected Works, we have this, you know, amazing, amazing look and feel that we can use. Um, so, yeah, reaction has been good so far. Is the double entendre deliberate, the double meaning? Because I, I read it as mm. the unexpected will work yeah. and does work yeah. and that you do unexpected works. Yeah, both. Yeah, so it's we've been using it um, in sentences as in is this unexpected works, um, which I'm not quite right with yet because it's not grammatically correct, but it'll be okay. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, you know, the, the reaction has been strong and I think... Um, Sorry, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm trying to control myself from laughing because it's such a journalist and a, a, gra- a grammar, you know, grammar. A pedant that wants to correct the grammar when, you know, copywriting and advertising generally uh, plays very loose with things like grammar and even spelling. I did learn that. (laughs) I did learn that and I've had many run-ins with um, lovely copywriters over the years um, because I wasn't understanding why commas were in sentences and things like that. Um, But, yeah, so Unexpected Works, you know, it's something that kind of marks an uh, a different era for DDB. I think Marty is very focused on bringing us together. If you look at the hires globally, you know, we've made some serious big hires, about 10 of them in the global leadership team and across North America. So, 
it's kind of a point in time for the network and um, we got, you know, really good press coverage as well, which was nice. You know, there wasn't any negativity towards it. And yeah, I mean, it was a big first project to be part of, but one that was really cool. You know, we, we put a billboard up in New Zealand in a sheep paddock. You know, what, what other advertising agencies have you seen advertise themselves recently? Um, and there's plans to do that, you know, a few times a year. Um, our next activation we're thinking will be at Cannes. Um, and I actually love that we're investing, you know, in our own brand publicly. I think it sends a really good message. Yeah, well, you know, if you're not investing in your own brand, why should your clients listen to you about investing in theirs? Exactly, yeah. Look, uh, it's been a terrific conversation. Uh, I'm sure this is a story that will continue because uh, clearly you're about to uh, make the big leap to uh, the US and, uh, and I'd love to catch up and continue that. So thank you, uh, Lindsay, for uh, taking the time to uh, sit down and have the conversation. Thanks, Darren. Could have uh, could have kept talking all day, but um, it was it was lovely to chat. <laughs> Just have uh, one last uh, question uh, to finish up, and that is, you know, from ad news to global uh, marketing or head of marketing in five years. What's the next five years got in store for Lindsay Bennett? Mm-hmm.